All right, and hello, Tim. Hello. And hello, everyone out there, in there, in here, wherever you may be, whenever you may be. Welcome to Dismembering Horror, episode 159 of Dismembering Horror. The podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and... Myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film for you. Get it? Dismembering horror? Dismember a horror film for you? But what does it mean to dismember? Because they don't have actual body parts in the physical form. We're chopping up its body parts in the metaphysical form by talking about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy. Excuse me. Noteworthy. You're excused. <laughs> you're excused. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Wait, hang on. You're going to have to excuse me. <clears throat> Got it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you took care of it. Uh, yeah, we we th- there's always so much to talk about, not just with films, but with horror films especially. We find that the dark places they allow us to venture can be especially fruitful because the conflicts at play can seem especially ripe. Rife? Is rife a word? Sure. <laughs> you all know what I mean. There's a lot to a lot to to pick apart about them, a lot to delve into, as we like to do. And today, for episode 159, we went back to 1964. Notably, four years before Night of the Living Dead, some similarities there. Mm. For The Last Man on Earth, which is the first adaptation of the Richard Matheson story uh, or novel from 1954, I Am Legend, which became just a handful of years later, the Charlton Heston film. That's what you call it. Um, Omega Man. <laughs> thank you. And then, uh, The Will Smith I Am Legend, which I remember seeing in IMAX in San Francisco. Mm. And the best part about it was seeing the Dark Knight preview beforehand. That sounds cool. (laughs) It was really cool. It was the opening scene of the Dark Knight that they just showed in its entirety. It was (laughs) great. It was awesome. Sweet. It's much better than the movie. But we are not here to talk about either of those movies. <laughs> Sorry for the tangent. Forgive me. And here we go. For the 1964 The Last Man on Earth. Tim, anything else to say on it before we jump into our trailer? Um, No, only that it was released in black and white, but I watched a colorized version of it. Un- unwittingly. Well, shoot, Tim. I should have uh, given you the Blu-ray I rented. 
yeah we're gonna have a differentiation in our our what worked as in <laughs> stark Probably. black and white photography was one of my what worked <laughs> <laughs> yeah it happens <laughs> all right good good to know good context to have all right so directed by sydney salkow and Abaldo B. Ragona, because there's like an English language version and an Italian version going on. Screenplay by Logan Swanson and William F. Leicester. And Logan Swanson is a fake name for Richard Matheson. Wanted his name changed for the screenplay credit. With additional screenplay credits from the Italian version, Firo M. Minotti, Abaldo B. Ragona, and as I said, based on I Am Legend by one of the same Richard Matheson. Here we go. All right. Trailer for Last Man on Earth. We switch you to the state capitol where His Excellency, the governor, is speaking from the executive mansion. Further, I have, in conjunction with the federal government, declared this state to be a disaster area. To keep you here until they come. To kill me. Vampires alive among the lifeless that make the night hideous with their inhuman cravings. If they are not destroyed in the flaming pits of hellfire, or stick to the ground in the light of the sun. <coughs> Will the unbelievable become real? A world of inanimate zombies by day. All right, there we have it, Tim. 1964 trailer. Last man on earth. <laughs> so, Tim, mm. per our rating system, what would we tell ourselves? Would we tell ourselves to avoid this film, stream this film, rent this film, or buy this film? Who do you want to go first? I'll go first. I would just stream it. It's cool, but it's not great. <laughs> That's a great in summary review, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Stream it. It's fun like weekend afternoon kind of watch warm up watch yep. Twilight Zone kind of mood. All that stuff. Vincent Price is great mentioning here for the first time he who's he starred in it well we'll get into all that what worked but yeah felt more like a like a stream it you don't really you know like a, you don't regret kind of stream it don't regret <laughs> no regrets indeed all right well fun now tim if that's all we got to say on our rating we got to summarize this film adapted from a novel Okay, here we go. I'm going to crack some knuckles. You hear all that? Okay. That was a lot. Yeah. Here we go. Last man on earth slash I am legend. Uh, we got Vincent Price. <laughs> that title, I am legend. Like what? I know. Sorry, just thinking who says that? <laughs> <laughs> So you got Vincent Price. Um, he's got a very um, mundane, living the same day over and over again kind of existence, post-apocalyptic p- 
plague um, where he routinely kind of does his, he gets up, does his thing, um, cleans up the, the dead uh, zombie slash vampires that are strewn about and then goes about his day uh, also um, staking them, you know, like putting a stake through their chest. Disposing of those, coming home, boarding stuff up, and enduring the nightly, um, what would you call them? Not attacks, but sort of attempts to get into his home by the hordes of his, meandering his, zombie vampires. His nightly annoyances is kind of what they amount <laughs> yeah. to. Can and you his, imagine that every night? Ugh, his name terrible. is Dr. Robert Morgan, Vincent Price. Right. Um, you know, so he's living in this existence. He's been doing it for three years now. Uh, he believes he's the only human left. And life is pretty shit, let's be honest. Doesn't have a cure, doesn't know how, how to like make things better he's just he's just surviving uh and then we get a little flashback of how things came to be there was a plague swept across the nations and then the globe ultimately and uh effectively it kills you and then you become reanimated with a thirst for little unclear let's say blood but it might just be flesh there's a bit of a, a, a you know a vagary around the vampire slash zombie definitions here it seems but, like it could just make one generally upset i'm not sure <laughs> that's also true <laughs> but people start to believe that maybe it's it's something bigger than just a, a virus or a, a they call it a germ a lot so I guess it could be a bacteria but it seems like it's more virus um, oriented and uh, th- some people start to believe that they are actual vampires and and they find that uh, garlic um, is a deterrent mirrors are a deterrent um, what else they you know. Kill them by impaling them. They don't come out during sunlight. They're exactly and so. th- he puts up crosses. They don't seem to mind them too much, but he no. Does that at I least. mean, the whole thing ends in a church, so I think they're <laughs> we're <Yeah>. good. <laughs> um, so you know, it's it's a bit of a meander through this detail. He loses his daughter and and wife to the to the plague in the flashbacks. And he's already alone. Yeah, in the flashback. So we get some context of where he's come from. He is a scientist, so he's he's tried and failed numerous times to to figure this whole thing out. Um ultimately, he runs into another seemingly alive non-undead, non-infected maybe, woman and they hang out and he realizes that she is infected but she has figured out a formula to keep herself from turning, so to speak. Um, She also reveals that there's a bunch of other people along with her that have, have been doing this and are are surviving 
non vampirically. Uh, much to his chagrin. But then he cures her by giving her a blood transfusion because he has antibodies because one day, many years ago, he was bitten by a vampire bat. And Which, that <laughs> such as will happen antibodies. when you're when you're Vincent Price this year around That's bats. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um and so oh man. You know, then it it, it it suddenly we get into a bit of a a a, a chase and shoot 'em up because all of the other survivors that are infected but have been taking this formula to keep them un undead. Un-undead. Un-undead? Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. Alive, but dead, but alive. I'm alive, but I'm dead, but I'm alive. Uh, and they chase him down. The woman is like, no, no, no. He, he maybe, should I tell everybody that he could cure us? I don't know. Maybe I'll just run after it, you all. And they end up in a church and the, the mob, the, the alive, but dead, but alive, mob just kills him and then the lady is like instead of being like you dummies you could have you could have saved him and he could have saved us all she just goes eh oh well I guess I'll hold this baby the end <laughs> that was a full on summary there Tim great <laughs> for whether or not you watched this film or have seen it at all watched it recently with us that's well, we like to do a summary for all of us, if that includes you or not, to get on the same page here. Great. And I, I that that was sound. I, I got the same thing out of it that you did. That was the narrative thread <laughs> I followed also. <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong, there's some cool stuff. Um but yeah, it's it's an interesting I you know I've never read the novel so I I can't really speak to it but I have seen The Omega Man and I Am Legend. And so, you know, with that context, this seems like a pretty mm, weak depiction of that story. I don't think I mean maybe this is just getting ahead Weak's of ourselves. Maybe not the right word, but But like I don't I don't remember thinking Either of those movies were very good. No, I'm not saying that, but they at least give. I think it. They at least carry the narrative of uh, like of this story effectively. Like they give you the 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 nuts and bolts and the beats of of what you would need to for this story to to sort of be depicted. I'd say that in that, you know, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Omega Man and I'm Legend, I guess, but weighing their pros and cons in my memory, uh, I think I like this one a bit more, but that's not saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right, great. You good to move into our next big section here? Sure. All right, here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? What 
you know, for me, the big the big takeaway from this is a tone thing that I really, really like. And it's really just the tone of that that shows like the outer limits, outer limits and the Twilight Zone had, which is this eerie, desolate kind of like. I don't know, just the way it's filmed, the landscape, the the imagery. I, you know, now realizing I wish I had watched it in black and white because it would have confirmed that even more or affirmed it, whatever. Um, and so so there's a vibe, I guess, to for lack of a better term, that just is really pleasing to me. I like this narr- narrator sort of thing it's a little hackneyed but like it's you know it's vincent price's narration it's cool that feels good uh and and yeah like you said the imagery and the and the sort of stark black and white um you know look of things even though that's not what i watch i get it like that's that's cool i i dig that yeah absolutely down to kind of you know like i was saying about our last film kuruneko that black and white Two three five or two three nine aspect ratio combination. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very pleasing on these older older films. But yeah, no, agree entirely. Just like one of those, uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, exact Twilight Zone esque. Well, just world to sink into. Why is it so cool to watch somebody wander around an empty town? Right. <laughs> I don't know what, like, what is the deal? I, it's so, I think it's just because we, it's, it's unusual, right? It's like, you very rarely get that in real life. You, you have to like make a point to be like, oh, I'm going to be awake at, you know, five in the morning or something. So it's, it's this almost otherworldly time when you can experience that. And it's, short-lived so it's 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 kind of it's precious in a way yeah you know that actually makes me think of something i had for things of note but is actually i think more of a a what worked but there's just like a i'm just curious as to the why behind it's working is why i had it there but it's Mm -hmm. the um yeah what did how did i put it like there's a, a real there's a certain satisfaction of not just seeing someone in the desolate landscapes in the apocalypse going around, but when they're committed to like a day-to-day existence, like right. and seeing the routine within the apocalypse. It's kind of like it can be it can range from this where he's checking the boxes, you know, extolling like food has become mere fuel, (laughs) you know, whatever is (laughs) going through his head, like the kind of things he checks for every day on the radio. But also just kind of like, I remember the beginning of, I guess it's not really the same thing, but that kind of, that kind of feel of like the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxies. You have the character type who like puts on his music and like still finds a way to find fun during the apocalypse and all. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a range of types of characters who are in this situation. Why is that? Why is there such a specific, you know what I mean? Like there's a specific appeal to like routine in apocalypse. Because those two things are in such like obvious contrast with each other, right? Like it's the apocalypse happened, man. Like why would you bother with routine? It is sort of 
the first logical way of looking at it, but then you realize that's that's all you have. And I think there's something really unsettling about that, but also pleasing to see that that very contrasting reality that this that one you know singular individual is is going through. Well, I wonder if it's just like a metaphor for our non-apocalypse lives in a way where there's appeal in that's kind of what life comes down to, I guess, in a lot of modes of religion or spirituality is like, what what is your, what is your day-to-day doing? Like once base needs are fulfilled kind of thing, right. what comes next? And I, well, so I think it's like- it's- it's, it's the idea of purpose. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's it's the idea. So what comes, it's, right. So it's when this context, the apocalypse context, it's the purpose from like a modern day perspective, which is like, you know, forefront of arts and sciences, human knowledge is kind of the hopeful, you know, sort of aim or where you draw your gumption from or whatever. But for this, that it's sort of like reduced to sheer, kind of more baseline instinct things like regrowing human population, finding connection. Mm. I think there's just a certain appeal like that those are the direct results that you're sort of aiming for or, you know, that your day-to-day routine is kind of maybe adding up to. It's interesting. It is interesting, yeah. I mean, it. I think part of what makes it effective in this story is that He's almost, he's doing his routine. God, how do I even put this? It's pretty weird. Because like, he doesn't have to clean up the bodies, right? Like, what's the point? But he he feels like he has to. Right. It's, and I he, think that that's, I, that's what's weird, right? Well, that's how it can feel like, okay, like, why should I clean the floor in my bathroom? You know, it's right. because it's because it will feel better once it's done. Just like it'll That's feel right. better once the bodies are gone. Yeah. So this this like this compulsion almost to like to determine what needs to be done at that point is pretty arbitrary. You know what I mean? But I like there's little things like he puts his music on and you think, oh, that's a thing we do before, you know, like to wind down or whatever. And it's like, it's got this weird duality because he's doing it maybe more so to just drown out the noises of the <laughs> zombie vampires outside. Which but as, it's like, I think a, those like a helicopter kind of like, drives overhead, flies overhead, I think. Is that what I'm doing when I put on my music anyway? Sorry. Yeah. I mean, that I think that stuff, that kind of the, the eeriness of all of that, like the the existential almost nihilism of what's the point we humans i think generally are compelled to fill in that gap if if that if that gap exists like if you're just literally left to whatever you're still gonna look for things to do because like i don't know that's just kind of in our nature or at least most people's nature it's like the idle hands things like gotta do something so what are we gonna do and like, I like the idea that he's doing it less because he thinks he needs to, uh, for some sort of like broader purpose, and more because it's like, if I don't do this, then I'm just going to be, it's it's 
it's a weird irony. If I don't do, if I don't clean up all these zombie bodies, I'm going to have to be looking at the zombie bodies and reminded of the fact that there are zombie vampire bodies everywhere. Like that, that's what I went through. But if I do clean them up, I'm obviously reminded of the fact that we're in a post-apocalyptic like hellscape. Well, so it's, it's like it, you're you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, kind of thing. Well, it's it's not. I, I don't. It's like he's past though trying to forget it at this point. So maybe there's that direct confrontation of getting this is the world I live in, getting rid of the bodies. You could see a comfort through acceptance coming from that. Yeah, but it's like it's like digging a hole in the sand at the edge of the water. Yeah, it's just never ending, dude. It's like, what's the point? You're not going to get anywhere. Well, I don't know, because you look at like the prog, like there's a certain satisfaction when he's looking off when he's looking at like the blocks that he's covered and clearing out bodies or whatever. Like, okay, he's gotten like there's a hopelessness. Oh, God, I haven't even reached halfway and it's been three years. But like, that's I don't know. It's it's the progress too. It's satisfying. It feels to me like I think this is a just a personal, you know, we're all going to respond to this in different ways based on our sort of personal philosophy or like whatever the temperature of how we view certain work. But like it just feels like an assembly line. It's never ending. Like it's so futile to me in a way. But, but like I get why yeah. you, or, you know, why the character is driven to do it. It's almost it's right on the edge of insanity, which is important for this story. It's because we're watching a guy just sort of dance on the wire of insanity. Well, think of it as like these stories, they're similar in theme to Groundhog Day a lot. Right. You know, it's and what Phil Connors sort of comes into is, well, you, you know, it's almost besides the point what the sort of the the net there there are no net actions from my cumulative days aside from like me you know getting better at piano or whatever or whatever so mm-hmm. it just becomes about making the best of each day is what he learns and I don't know where I was going with that but I see the overlap well, I think that that that's the dichotomy that's interesting in the this story is it's it's that along with um he's whether or not this is self-inflicted or you know higher power inflicted he he go i think he kind of grapples with this idea of like is is why him right like why is he the one who stayed alive is this a punishment is he like paying a penance uh is this like some sort of trial for him that he has to like this seems like a, a a level of hell, right? Like in Dante's Inferno. I don't know if it actually is because I don't remember what they all are, but it feels like that kind of thing where you're, you know, you got to live the same thing Groundhog over and day. over again, <laughs> right? And but the question is, is there a higher power that's like doing that so that you figure something out on a character level? Like, is he thinking that philosophically? Or is that the point of the movie? Is for us to glean some sort of sense of that one way or the other? Well, what I like about his character, and you kind of look at it as this is a kind of, there's characters will kind of either be a this or that in these traits, but he's the kind of character where 
he doesn't really seem to be too concerned or thinking of those terms. He's, he's someone who's just very, like, he's the, he's, he's the studious, evidence-based scientist, you know? He's, he's not, like, like w- when he's doing his day-to-day actions, it seems like he never really stopped to think about, like, what he's doing each day. It's just, is, this is the best thing to do, and this is already what I'm doing. Right. And we see he has those moments of kind of, there's a human underneath there. Like, I loved that scene when he breaks down from laughing into crying while watching the old films of his family. Um, right, right. But I don't know. I think there's something admirable in people like that. And if if you aren't naturally that, that's sort of healthy for us, I think, to gravitate in that direction. But at the same time, it's interesting. You So, you know, you kind of think you you do the opposite is the opposite, I don't know, whatever you are, kind of learning more how to be comfortable with the opposite seems to be good for you. So I wonder, like, I don't know. I was just going to say, like, do we want to see this guy take a break at all, you know, and <laughs> just <laughs> waffle a bit more, but he's got plenty of time for that too. I don't know. I guess I'm just I'm just kind of going off of what you were originally saying. Of yeah. Like, who's, who is this person? Why is he doing what he's doing? Well, and why... And- and the depiction of him, why does it make us care? Yeah. But I think it does. It's sort of like, we're like, oh man, this guy, like what a weird place to be in. And like watching him through the go through this sort of mechanical routine of like, got to do this, got to do that. We're constantly going, okay, yeah, yep, you got to do that. But we're, then we go at a certain point, we go, wait a minute, why? Yeah. Does he have to do it? And then he just barrels forward, right? He just keeps going. But then like I think the strength of the 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 there are moments of strength in this movie that come out of obviously, because that's the context of the movie, when something else shows up that breaks his routine. Right? So the dog, for example. Dog showing up, he's like, he suddenly he's like, Oh, hell yeah, a dog. Like chases after the dog totally like changes his whole daily thing like it breaks the monotony um but it's futile right like it ends up being honestly like probably he's worse off for having that or he i can see some people believing he's worse off right like you see that and you go oh well, what was the point mm-hmm. like you're just you're just sad now because you had to you had to bury the dog because it's infected too yeah and so i i like this because i like this philosophical kind of back and forth of what's the point in general and what's the point in the face of hope so don't give people hope if it's just gonna turn out bad i think is a really tricky and dangerous way to look at the world right like i've i experienced this i had pets growing up and they died right because that's what happens and allergies aside i tend to say or hold on to a philosophy of what's the point of getting another pet if i'm gonna have to go through the trauma of that pet dying and that's a really like pessimistic way to look at the world, right? Like, to be like, 
instead of being like, oh, I get to experience the joy of having this pet for as long as it lasts, I think that having, in my case, cats that died and one of which died fairly traumatically was enough for me to go, you know what? I'm just not going to participate in that anymore. I'm not going to attach, like, I'm not going to get emotionally invested in a thing like that again. And so I think it's interesting to watch a movie with that that's sort of, you know, depicting a character that's grappling with some version of that. Like, do I invest anything in this thing if I'm just going to be disappointed? That's a pretty, like, <laughs> that's a pretty, like, depressing outlook to have. Yeah. Well, but I think, he, you know, he do- when does he have optimism in this movie? For about two seconds when he <laughs> figures out that he his blood is the cure for this this plague. Right. Well, you could say there's a sense of optimism just in the fact that he's doing his day-to-day routine. Or or I think that's... I, I feel that from watching him, but I agree that that seems more like what I was saying before. He's just the kind of person who is just doing it because it's what you do and he never really stops to think about it. And that, well, that sort of that that nihilism or that pessimism as I think his downfall in the end in a way like to get into the ending a bit um him I loved at the end I mean I was just we'll get into it later but I was like just so frustrated at both sides for just fighting 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 kind of thing but (laughs) I thought it was thematically sound and apropos that his ending he's not yelling wait I can save us he's yelling freaks he's yelling at them like right so he's he's doubled down on this kind of this pessimistic worldview or this sort of almost doubling down on what he was doing and like murdering all these (laughs) vampires i guess right right like he has to he has to in the end he has to justify all of the the terror that he's caused like he's destroyed a lot of these people that he could have saved. Right. And so and how do you, how do you come to terms with that? You don't. You just double down on, you know what? I was right. You're all freaks anyway. So yeah, what's the point? Exactly. And that's what I think is I interesting when I was trying to describe a difference between kind of someone who default just does the things they're supposed to be doing day to day. And you know, then you have the opposite side of that and they both kind of have their weaknesses, but the weaknesses of the kind of person I think he's portraying is to never look at anything, you know, other than what you're already doing as a possibility. So exactly yeah. that, that he's just doubling down at the end, saying freaks rather than looking at what <laughs> maybe he could have looked at things in a different way. Yeah, and and I mean, even, even further to that point, of, like being appropriate, that it's not the horde of undead that kill him, right? Yeah. It's other humans like they're alive they're dead but they're alive but they're alive yeah right and if y'all just shut up for a second and listen you could you could be fine and solve it but that is that's what i think the biggest sort of this is why i love these movies is because they you know this was an era of film that did this i think quite a lot it's the tragedy of like miscommunication and just that humans they're they're gonna 
act first and ask questions at later, you know, and that's such a just just a terrible philosophy to have, <laughs> but it's so embedded in our nature. It's in beyond so many philosophy. That's what's horrifying about it. It's instinct. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I like all that stuff in thematically, like you said, like that, that it's fun to play around with those things. Now, was this movie ultimately successful broadly beyond that? I don't know, but like, at least it's doing that. Like it's doing it. I, I left the movie going, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we, we ended with that same thing, right? Like it's all, it's very rebel without a cause, right? Like, <laughs> you know, Salminio runs out with the gun, gets shot by the cops because he's a teenager with a gun. And then James Dean runs out and he's like, yeah, but I have the bullets, man. You guys just waited a second. Like, just wait. And you didn't. Yep. You killed him. Unstoppable force often represented by authority. Exactly. Uh, well, I think the other good stuff to say about it, though, maybe not so broad, but like you already said, I wanted to second Vincent Price's narration. It's just like <laughs> that it is kind of... I don't know. I, I, yeah, you default want to think like it's hokey, but the fact that it's Vincent Price, it's just great. Yeah. Same with just watching him go around and look at things and stuff, all that. <laughs> it's really interesting that just, I don't know, it's just an interesting place in film history and uh, depictions of vampires, but just something that they are like straight up vampires in some ways of the stake through the heart, the garlic, the right. reflections, but it has this sci-fi twilight zone tinge to it is interesting totally. combo in that sense. I was kind of taken by, I liked, um, and then I don't know, this is, <laughs> I don't know if it's good or worked, but it tickled me. I enjoyed it. Just how then, yeah, maybe that they aren't the typical vampires after those those traits. Whatever they are, I just got a kick out of. Like that they'd yell and like they'd yell beyond just noises. They knew names. They'd say things like, Come right. out here, Morgan. <laughs> Morgan. <laughs> calling Morgan to him. Like they're smart enough to like to use tools to carry wooden planks to try to beat down doors, but not smart enough to think of a nail removal or like to actually just like taking out the right. boards a little more carefully. So it's just interesting, like the level of intelligence or vice versa stupidity that they kind of depict them arriving at, whether it's consistent or not, I don't know, but in the moment it's just interesting and weird and unique and fun how they're depicted as cavemen, zombie vampires, like <laughs> whatever the heck they are. <laughs> yeah. It's amusing. Yeah. I think one of my favorite moments of this whole movie is, so Ben is Morgan's friend and colleague and we get, to, we meet him in the flashback and whatever. Um, he's kind of one of the first people to be like, jump into the superstition of, I think they might be actual, actual vampires. And Morgan, of course, is like, that's ridiculous. Vampires don't exist. Um, and then, of course, we see Morgan later just doing the things that you do to keep vampires away. So he's bought in on some level. But that this idea that Morgan uh, is effectively haunted 
quite literally, by Ben's, you know, zombie vampire form. And I think that's the person who's yelling Morgan. Oh, all it the is. T- or, yeah. It it, is. You know, yeah. It's, it's not, he's the one who had, like, they retain some sort of self and memory, but they can't really, I don't know. They, they're this weird zombie v- version of themselves. Um, but they have, whether it's actual, um, like, what's the word for this? Like, they know what they're doing. They know what they're saying. Or it's just their brains are just attracted back to a thing that, that they knew. Either way, it kind of doesn't matter. But there comes this point when, <laughs> maybe this isn't what didn't work, but no, it, it still isn't what worked. It's kind of half and half. Like Morgan's like, he's explaining to the the woman who shows up like, oh yeah, that's that's Ben. When I find him, I'll I'll put a stake through his heart. But he's like, he's been outside this whole time. It's not like he, he doesn't have access to him, right? Like Morgan's out, or Ben is outside of Morgan's house every night. <laughs> yeah. Moaning, saying, Morgan, let me in. I'm coming <laughs> for you. Um, But that's all to say that my favorite moment of this entire movie is... Ben breaks into the house. He grabs the woman, pulls her outside. Morgan separates them. And then the, the, all of the sort of military guys show up. And <laughs> there's a shot where Ben has been kind of pushed away from the woman. And he like leans up against the wall. And then the, the trucks start to show up. And he looks over and like scurries out of frame slowly. He sort of falls out of frame. And then they cut back to the guys and then back to the house and Ben is on the roof. <laughs> like yeah. instantaneously on the roof. And the way the sequence goes is just so hilarious and like fun to me. It's like this, I want more of this in this movie. But like he's up on the roof just meandering about now. And the military guy sees him. He goes, there, there he is, and shoots him. And the way he gets shot, sort of, it's just classic kind of stuntman, like, gets shot and then does, they cut to the actual stuntman. And he does, like, a really, really, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, a really well-controlled dive off of the roof. And it's just... <laughs> It's just everything about it is so kind of corny, but kind of hilarious and also great all at the same time. And the 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 way he yells when he gets shot, he's like, oh, yeah, it's just everything about it is hilarious. Feels appropriate for like what you want out of Vincent Price movie in a way. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wasn't sure if you were going to include this in the context you were giving. You kind of alluded to it. Um but specifically that uh, that tension between Ben and Morgan that we see in the flashbacks of Ben being like, well, you know, there are these stories about this is something that that people are reacting to, acting this way. And Morgan's, you know, like, oh, but those are just stories. You know, it's right. it's great though that in that uh, the Ben ends up being kind of more correct. You know, there's maybe we yeah. should have looked into this somehow. So it's as if like uh, m- any of Morgan's regrets in that regard are like 
like you said, come back in the form of a ghost still haunting him. Yeah. Like, like that they were arguing about this thing that he ended up being wrong, you could say, on. And then to have uh, that literally continuing to berate him in that form yeah. is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, that that trope of of sort of the dead friend looming about and reminding you or just being there as like a... um specter of the past and american and, uh, werewolf and in failings. london totally like that has it i mean a christmas story or christmas story no a christmas carol right that's one of the older versions of that i'm sure there are older ones but you know in film we've seen it quite a bit yeah i like those i think it's cool yeah um some other things in the flashbacks uh, really worked for me. I mentioned just how genuinely disconcerting it was with the kid getting sick, making me feel for Morgan oh in that God. sense and watching him and his wife have to deal with that. Just like, God, the Brutal. Like, seeing a kid, yeah, just get blind and imagining that happening to your kid. Yeah, it was, was brutal. And like calling out, Oh my god! Yeah. So and terrifying that, that I thought it was, worked really well. How then, though, as parents, they get into this conflict of he's like, listen, you know, though, if you call any doctors, they're instantly just going to take her away because that's what they've been doing. But she's got that instinct, like I have to do something, and she eventually yep. caves, and that's exactly what happens. She gets taken away. But I just liked that as just kind of. I don't know, interesting conflict between the two of them. And uh oh, yeah, yeah. gave gave you something I think to that, chew on. That that sequence might be the most upsetting. By, well, then by it, quite a long shot. Yeah. And then it the way it culminates too, just sort of the the him and his wife C story, whatever you might call it, where mm -hmm. she shows up at the door and how she looks in her vampired state. Yeah. It's it's really eerie the way the something about her eyes that they did with her makeup making them one of them off a little bit. It's yeah. super disturbing how she looks when she shows up in that moment they share. Well, she had to crawl out of the ground, so you know, it's gonna <laughs> right. it's gonna have an effect. <laughs> yeah. It's like she's just like a little bit decayed. Just yeah, a exactly. Tiny bit. Well, it's that's dark. I mean, <laughs> it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> i i did think you know like you can kind of there are definitely moments and sort of ideas that we've we've seen repeated and spread across the you know the pantheon of horror that came after this um like you mentioned night of the living dead there's definitely like there's vibes that we you know similarities in that even Evil Dead 2 in particular get, you know, having his girlfriend, him bury her and her come back and be, you know, that that same kind of thing. It's a really terrifying idea. And it's cool that we're seeing it at this point. You know, this I'm sure there are depictions of that that came before this. But, you know, this kind of I feel like this movie may have been a like we talked about with Equinox, it sort of lives in this time frame uh, that was pretty influential for the the movement of horror that came post the 60s, which is cool. Yeah, came kind of 
same time close to 2000 maniacs i always think of that as yeah yeah whenever i hear that now alluded to films that were uh came at influential turning point periods last man on earth (laughs) colorized or black and white i'm glad you still got the the intended feel <laughs> that that yeah, came through sure. despite it. Super <laughs> interesting. You watch, so if you watch uh, Bewitched, you watch the black and white or colorized versions. Bewitched? The yeah. TV show Bewitched? Yeah. Oh, God. I, I'm, oh, man. I'm going to presume that I mostly saw the colorized versions, but I know that there were black and white. So yeah. What both, would you watch? Pro- what would I watch? <sighs> That's a tough call. Oh man. I feel like I would still, maybe this is just cause it's what I did watch. I would still want to watch the colorized. Interesting. I don't know. That's really a hard call. <laughs> Most of the time, my, my, where I would land is to say I would always default to the black and white like what it was originally intended. Most of the time. But that's a weird one. Bewitched <laughs> is a weird one. I don't know why. <laughs> Apparently, that's <laughs> so that's why I ask. All right, well, we got another section on The Last Man on Earth. I think we're good for it. You ready? Oh, sure. All right, here we go. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> when you talking about that friend, how that's kind of a a, a trope or a TV trope or whatever you'd call it, the friend who's haunting them, the the person from the past who's there to appear. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that is. That is kind of a thing that's done. But in this movie, you don't... It's like you don't get that sense at all, though, at the same time. And I don't know, I'm just using that as an in to give, to say, like, as an overall thing that didn't work was just, like, the overall direction in this. It just somehow feels, like, disengaged. So I am, therefore, not engaged. It just kind of has a little bit of that defaulty just show him getting in the car and going to this place and driving away like there's no real meaty storytelling going on in the direction itself like as if to say you could make this whole you know sort of more deliberate story element of this person from his past is the one who's showing up at his doorstep every night like that's just not there and that that's a style choice and that sometimes that approach does work. So I'm not saying it's like this style or that style is better, but for this movie specifically, that kind of more um, deliberate storytelling in the direction uh, made it not as engaging as it could have been. I thought. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that part of the failing of how this is plotted out is that with Morgan's character, there's kind of a, um, I just don't think that their, their choices on how to sort of 
show his plight and his personality in the face of that plight worked. I, you know, and, and there are ways to make it work better. One of them, I think, would be it's almost like a just a passing thought that Ben is out there moaning and groaning. Whereas, like, if you did what we've seen in other versions of that trope, you you can have him start off by acting like it's not affecting him. But we need to build to a point where he actually breaks and goes, has to confront it. And we don't really get that in this. It's kind of just like, even in, this is what I was going to say about Ben's death. That's that's the totally the wrong death for that character. Morgan should have to kill Ben. He, it, it, or by not killing Ben, he should be faced with that choice. And if he chooses not to kill him, that should cost Morgan. Right? In a way, they did the most bland, watered-down version of that kind of plot point in that I guess you could kind of infer that since Morgan never did anything about Ben, that's the failing that led to Ben getting in, which led to him getting the girl, which led to Morgan being in the situation where he had to run away from the guys. Like, that's a lot of work to do just to support this relationship. So... Not having that, not having him, Morgan, um, kind of almost have more like, <sighs> more, I don't know how to even put it. I guess just more of a, a, a of reactions to these bigger moments. He's pretty, you know, he's pretty one note most of the time. And it's a little too like, yes, here we are and life is weird. And I don't know. I think it's more like in just what the camera is choosing to show or what moments are being accentuated. Because like we get the sense he's excited sure. when he finds the dog to have some kind of companionship. But I think that could have been made a lot more clear just in sort of make a beat out of that more. Like I think it is yeah. there in his face and performance technically. But it's just a little hung back and not being um, made as shown or explicit. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The emphasis on important moments mm -hmm. doesn't feel like it was captured. Yeah. I guess that's... And they come along in like a... Here, I think, yeah, so there's the direction and then there's the the plotting itself too. And Tim, I mm -hmm. think we can coin a new uh, dismembering horror helpful phrase here or term because we run into this a lot. But yeah, <laughs> and you know, it's got to be alliteration too. So oh yeah, the case of plotting, plotting. Yes, my God, we see it so often. It's really annoying. Yeah, and I think that mostly. Because it's interesting, the the flashbacks integrated, they kind of worked and didn't work. Like at first, I was wondering if that was a part of it. They both had the sort of ups and downs. Like, um, 
it was it was kind of weird. Like with the first time he's killing uh, one of the vampires, it's like they just seem like they're just a person just lying there sleeping, and he just comes in and brutally <laughs> murders them. There's no like suspense ah. or reveal about them or anything like that. So so like just that, you know, it's it's not it's not right. it's like as if the filmmaking's not aware of what that moment should be. Um, but now, sorry, just just real quick to get to say uh, just. I think the overall thing about the plotting not working, so I was getting to, was that there's no, like, defined strong goal or trajectory. Like, we get the sense, yeah, he's looking for someone else, but that the dog and then the woman, they don't show up until, you know, the two-thirds of the way through at the way end at the beginning of the third act so even if it's just like i'm obsessed with clearing out this one area or there's this one it 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 can be something that's just sort of in his day-to-day important to him but just having nothing like that is what i think contributed most to the plotting plotting for me absolutely i was just gonna say you know the the only I guess benefit of the colorized version is it was very clear who was a vampire and who wasn't because they're blue. <laughs> Funny. They're like gray blue. All right. So when he goes in and is like actually killing them, you know that they're vampire yeah. zombies. Um, But I almost think that it's better to like, it's even more uh crazy and like, potentially upsetting to to the version you saw where you you don't know you're like damn i hope that was a zombie vampire because otherwise he's just straight murdering people Well, it's what it feels like you get the sense of they uh, maybe they just have that ghoulish eyeshadow or whatever going on Mm -hmm. but it was kind of funny yeah watching where it's like how how horrible are these quote vampires he's killing like are they just fighting each other because they're fighting each other? Like he's just killing them because like, did one attack him ever? Like, I guess so. Yeah. But I don't know the the way they are so sensitive to pain and clearly not wanting to die and are semi intelligent. <laughs> right. There's just something kind of just, I don't know, just kind of surprisingly gruesome about uh, when he's killing them off. That's an interesting point. I, th- I think it's important in, Let's let's take zombie movies in particular. I think it's important when you are making the rules, like you're showing the rules of this particular um, version of zombies. You do really need to have like a scene or a sequence that establishes the threat and the rules of that threat. Because that we don't get that in this movie at all. Which, in retrospect, it kind of thematically works to what we are talking about. It's as if him and the movie both never stopped to question whether he should be killing them or not. That's, right. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but... Or, you know, what would be even, I think, stronger is to... Since we have this protagonist as the narrator have an unreliable aspect to his narration and have him set up early on this these rules so that later when he, you know, sh- shit hits the fan, so to speak, part of that change is is him 
being faced with his mistaken rules. Right. Well, that's and then we get to see him go either come to terms with it or in sort of the way that they do it in this movie where he doubles back down on his, you know, initial way of looking at it. Well, that's exactly like, yeah, how we were kind of defining his character. He's not someone to kind of show doubt at what he's doing or believes in. And that could be kind of made known from, you know, for the audience perspective or just make that clear up front so he's an unreliable narrator in that sense. But it's not, yeah, that's not really communicated that, oh, well, maybe that this is someone who could be a little overconfident in what he thinks and what he's doing. I think they I think they undercut him really badly in the in the um, lab scene where they have the like boss man kind of being the one who's who's like determined and has this certitude of of what's going on. And then Ben shows up and he's like, oh, that guy's, you know, just just telling us all how it is without like really thinking like that's a cop out to me. Make Morgan the one who is that character. Exactly. Like. What are we doing? He already is why? that character, so make him yeah. that character. <laughs> why did we? Why did they add this over? You know, this boss guy. To I just it's it's little things like that where I'm. I don't know. It's like well, it's probably because it was in the novel. Decisions. You know, it was probably in the novel, and Pro- yeah. when it's in the novel, where it doesn't matter if we're with Morgan's character witnessing you know, mm-hmm. his first person reaction to as if it was him was the one in his opinions getting judged, you know. But if it is, I mean, sorry to belabor this, but like, let's say that that's a device in the book to establish some sort of sense of hierarchy within the, me- like the medical scientific community that he's in. Have it, have it matter to him? Why is Ben the one pointing this out like morgan if morgan and the boss man uh are both on the side of this certitude thing who cares but if morgan has a different opinion and goes along with like begrudgingly goes along with his boss because that's the hierarchy. His boss is telling him what to do and he's going along, he's getting along to go on, going along to get along. Then that matters when things change. But the way it is, is it's, they're the same character in this depiction. So who cares? Yeah. And that, in that case, then Ben is the person who should be like, yo, what's your problem? Not, Hey, what's that guy's problem? We don't even know that guy. We don't care about that guy. It's right. it's not if you're going to use it as a tool to depict authority and authority's like skewed version of certitude, you better do it. This sort of is maybe that was their intention, but it's man, it's loose. And yeah. it doesn't like add up to anything. Well, I just don't see any intention being there. And to clarify, that's I wasn't right. actually saying I wasn't using the because it was that way in the novel as an actual defense. I'm just I was saying that as no, like no, a, I they were not I doing their right. work to adapt it. Right, right, right. So I don't know. I mean, oh man, I say this a lot, but I actually do now because there's so many versions of this story. Like I, I want to see what the novel is actually all about. Is it good? I imagine so. So, it's yeah, probably good. <laughs> I think one other thing that 
you know, I guess to use I Am Legend, the movie, as a touchstone that I think was more effective. I really disliked in this that we're with, we're in post-apocalyptic land for about, oh, I don't know, 40-ish minutes, maybe a little less. And then we go to flashback and we just stay in flashback for another 30 minutes. That annoyed, it's just annoying to me. Like uh, the, the Will Smith, I am legend ver, uh, version of this breaks the flashbacks up, like pieces them throughout to give us some like progressive understanding of where his brain is at. So that by the time we get to the point when his kid and wife die, we're also experiencing his low in the post-apocalyptic timeline. And so those th- two things kind of coincide and match up and make us go, oh, oh, uh, okay, I get it. Whereas this is just like, here's where we are, here's where we were, now let's go back to where we are. And then stuff starts happening with the dog and with the woman who shows up. Yeah, I just, I'm, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, it does function to inform, you know, where we are. But as far as yes. how, how it's plotted, I agree. It was exactly. Not I'm like, I'm done to bored. any real fact. Yeah. Uh, plotting, plotting. <laughs> yeah. Be clear. Plotting, plotting. Nope. I specifically want to be unclear. Plotty, plotty. <laughs> that plotty plot. Exactly. <laughs> English. Uh, you kind of, already alluded to this but just that frustration i don't know yeah maybe it's like thematically sounded and there and maybe this is pretty subjective but just that frustration of like the ending you think her her singular focused goal would be hey this blood transfusion from him works we don't have to be doing this anymore. Like, he's our chance. Maybe my blood is now, but we got to take his blood. Even after he shot, why is she like, she should be yelling then, okay, you guys now actually listen to me that he's dead. Somebody come over here and get his blood. And this works, da, da, da. But it's just like, what are you? It's just like everyone's hysterical. And then that's what's frustrating. I don't know. And kind of coming off too, like, you've said this before, Tim, like, you're just kind of, and I agree with you, just kind of over, like, just the, his, the the hysterical men grabbing hysterical women and shaking them like thing oh my God. and thing but it's it's like it's that and everything that's built around that too it's that that bugs me now too and this is probably just my own projection of real life frustrations but it's just hard for me to engage when it's just that we already said it's just people's default is fighting shoot the other right. hate hate fight fight there he is. No, they don't even have a moment where it's like in, in Braveheart where they meet on the battlefield to talk first. Like all that's gone in today's <laughs> right. day and age. You know, it's just fight, 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 grab, 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 yell, 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 shoot, shoot, shoot. And again, that's like, I like there is the good side of that. Like you pointed out, it's the thematically sound. It's clear just miscommunication is a sort of concurrent theme. It's still prescient today. But as far as uh, engaging with on a movie level, unless you have that one character that is sort of representing where I'm coming from as at least like clearly, clearly really putting up a stink or trying to yell and stop them. It's just, I don't know. I just kind of check out or I'm frustrated. I, I mean, you know, the Will Smith version actually does this 
moment pretty well. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I hate to say it, but it does. It it's like in that movie, it's much more clear that the woman and her sort of cohorts are a new version of hybrid kind of version of human and vampire zombie. Like they've changed in and of themselves into not just the mindless version of it. And so like, that's really clear in the other depiction of this. Um, And so when you get to this moment where Morgan can is sort of faced with the, the oncoming attack, there's this moment in, in the Will Smith version where he's behind like a kind of a bulletproof glass barrier and the horde is coming to him. But the, the main guy, the main bad zombie vampire guy who, who is the smartest, he's the one who actually has some sense of reason, is trying to attack. And Will Smith is like, I, I can save you. Like, just if you just calm yourself down like and get everybody to chill for a second like i can actually help you but they're overcome by this i guess sort of bloodlust or this desire to go after him specifically because will smith accidentally killed the woman in experimenting and trying to save her and so that's this this driving force of anger is based on that guy losing something that he cared about. And so to me that that like getting that wrapped up into it and having this moment of like I know I screwed up but I can help and the other person being like beyond reason because they're so incensed. That's why I say that I think that version is more nuanced in and more kind of a better depiction of the themes of the stories because you actually get these moments where you go it it really hammers home oh we're screwed but it's dramatically effective to see the characters also recognize that the plight has been knocked off its rails and so you know in this one because her the woman who shows up and her Ruth. colleagues, Ruth, thank you. Because Ruth and, and her, the dudes are not zombie vampirified. They just seem like people. But we, you know, it's, it's just murky. It's just, un, I don't know. It, it doesn't quite land that the conceit that she says is that or she suggests and then the final shot sort of suggests as well is that they like being the way they are and they're going to start a new species and that idea is actually kind of cool but but like again in this it's not really it's not sort of emphasized i think in the right way to make us understand it or care well no because it's like we have his um a main character morgan who it makes sense for his character where he's at where at the end he's yelling you freaks you freaks you know he's just like the other one so 
you just want would want more sort of clear emphasis on okay, this is where he's at. He is the crazed one here. He's not doing well. So I think that would put a, this film in the position where you'd want Ruth being the one who she does kind of chase after them and yell stop. But it's again, it's not as pointed or as like she's plugged into all the motivations that we'd be feeling there. And then so I don't know. Yeah, it just imagine. Apart. Imagine if we had a scene. It's almost there, but like a really more specifically emphasized scene where Morgan has figured out this transfusion thing. His blood can save them. He does that without her consent. He just does it to her. And I think this would speak kind of to some of the broader thematic things that are almost in this story, or maybe I'm just kind of inferring them as well. But this idea of like, we're at the mercy as humans often to these forces, whether they are enacted by other humans or just by nature. And then the question of like, well, is nature pushing back because of things that we've done? Right. This is obviously fairly relevant to the world that we are you and I, Ryan, and our listeners are are living in right now, right? We don't know, you know, why we're experiencing our own plague, but we are. And there's a lot of conjecture as to why that might be or where it came from or like what the causality is. And I think that's really interesting stuff. Um, But I think it would be really poignant to have a scene right after he gives her this transfusion without her consent for her to really have a a meltdown and being like you, you like dude <laughs> i didn't ask for that you're imposing your idea of what you think is right onto me without my consent that's super messed up and then she can go on to explain that maybe she likes the way she, she is and maybe that's not such a bad thing it's an opportunity for Morgan to be faced with this idea of evolving into something different and not hanging on to these, you know, dogmatic ideas of who he is or the world that was. And that, to me, having that scene would really, really get us into the frame of mind where then he can fight against it and make bad decisions. Because if he's faced with this notion of like, you can change, you can evolve. It's maybe not for the worse. Like maybe it's okay to be a vampire zombie hybrid thing. And maybe we can start a new world with that. He could be like, whoa, what are you talking about? I just saved your life. And she's like, I didn't ask for your saviorness. Yeah, her her reaction to seeing her reflection, it would probably be more nuanced or than than what yeah. it is of not just necessarily instant joy i can see myself again but like it's it's different from how she's learned to live like yeah it'd be you're right there'd be a bit more going on than what's left to the imagination here i mean i think it'd be so cool to have her look at her reflection have us and morgan ex- with this expectation of joy and all that stuff and have her be like you like I didn't ask for this. Like, this is horrible. And have him be like, wait, what? I'm trying to help you. She's like, it doesn't matter that, like, the result, I didn't ask. 
You know, like you just decided my fate. <laughs> and that in in the sort of as a reflection of his, you know, position in this post-apocalyptic world would be poignant. Yeah, because he's just decided, though he never actually decided, he's just doing it without even stopping to make a point to decide, just going around killing everyone. Right. <laughs> so I just, I, you know, I, when you come to the third act of a movie <laughs> and it kind of just slides into a shoot 'em up I'm like, uh, okay. Well, it's like shoot 'em ups are great if as long as you have those clear kind of intentions with the right. characters you can relate to interspersed amongst the <laughs> the throwing of smoke bombs and all that's happening. In this. <laughs> no, I forgot about the smoke bombs. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, what? It was fucking Batman all of a sudden with these smoke bombs. <laughs> Jesus. Perfect. Smoke Batman. bombs. Batman. That'll show him. Get it? Because he was bit by a vampire bat. Ha ha. I get it. All right. All right. I'm not going to bitch anymore about it. Then let's move on. It bums me out because I love it when a movie has a vibe and I'm like, my hopes go up. Yep. And then I get really disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. But Vincent Price is a strong vibe himself. So good. Oh, yeah. Good plus. All right. Well, done with the pluses and minuses, on to the everything in-betweens for our next section, Things of Note. Things of Note! (laughs) This should be interesting. Just because it's easy to get through, I want to read the differences from the novel here that are listed in the Wikipedia. thought was interesting. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, bullet one, the protagonist of the novel is named Robert Neville, not Robert Morgan. Okay, weird. <laughs> the protagonist's profession Random. is changed from a plant worker to a scientist. That's a big one. Interesting. Whoa. The vampires are almost zombie-like, whereas in the novel, they are fast and capable of running and climbing. More like oh. infected, not zombies. 20 yeah. days later, not zombies. Though I just call them zombies. Uh, The dog that shows up on Neville's doorstep in the novel is timid and comes and goes as it pleases in contrast to the dog in the film, which is, I guess, trying to get away. In the novel, the relationship with Ruth Ruth differs slightly in that no transfusion takes place. A cure seems implausible, even as Neville hopes he will find one, and Ruth escapes after Neville discovers that she is infected. Neville is Hmm. not captured in the novel until many months later. Even then, he barely fights back. The novel ends shortly before Neville is to be executed. Ruth returns to give him suicide pills and finds it ironic that he has become as much of a legend to the new society as vampires once were to Neville's world. Hence the Hmm. title. Oh. Still aren't you missing an an article? I don't know. Uh, The novel implies that the vampire plague resulted from a biological disease. The origin of the disease is never explained in The Last Man on Earth and is altered in the subsequent adaptations. Hmm. There we go. Okay. Interesting. Still want to read it, but yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um... Yeah, there was another thing I saw that I thought was kind of weird in, in the development phase. Um, 
British censors were like, no, we can't produce this. Too much. Like, uh uh-uh. Why? <laughs> what was their issue? I don't know. It doesn't explain. I don't know. It's like, what was so, what was wrong? What, like, was so, uh, that made them say, no, you can't produce this movie? Well, it was f- mid-50s versus mid-60s, which, I mean, still, okay. I'm like, come on, guys, but, like, paints a little better a picture or of just kind of, like, yeah. anything that's too... God, I mean, could have just been down to, like, depiction of... uh widespread disease killing off a family to maybe in the novel and the original script, there were more gruesome interactions with how the vampires are killing the humans. Like, I don't know. Well, maybe it was because of who purchased the rights, which was Anthony Hines, the hammer film, hammer horror producer. I don't know. And the British censors were like, we're, you're already on our shit list. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, they didn't like gothic horror at the time, or they. I don't. It's weird because then Hammer Horror obviously did fine, kept making stuff. Maybe it's just odd. It has to do with the sheer amount of vampires, which <laughs> ah, okay. okay brings me to. Uh, I thought was interesting on the Blu-ray. There's a little interview with Richard Matheson. And I thought it was funny how it started off. Who knows if this is entirely it, but at least how it was edited, his quote here. He basically explained that he got the idea for the novel just thinking about, well, Dracula is scary, a vampire is scary. So what if you had a whole <laughs> world full of them? <laughs> like it was as wow. simple as that. <laughs> just that what if. Uh, it was funny. Yeah, it's weird that they took this kind of zombie... I don't know. What do you call that? Uh, a zombie form, and put it into this because you know, if you're if if the book really is vampires, like let's double down on the vampiricness. It's just so funny how the first one goes the most opposite because. If you sit down and go, well, one vampire is scary. What about more vampires? You think that's on the level of like. The Lost Boys, Fright Night, you know, near to any of the multitude of kind of zombie gangs or even a city of zombies or encampment of, sorry, vampires. Um, Right. But but for him to immediately go, well, then how about a whole world full of vampires? And then that's our (laughs) next adaptation after the singular ones. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think like there must be some sort of decision or or whatever that that's that makes it clear that although they are vampires they this is where it gets muddied up is that you have to make them mindless to some degree for this to work right i guess not you don't have to but i think that's what they're aiming at it's like Oh well, they're mindless. So then, let that just slides right into zombie once they yeah. become mindless. As if, yeah, he started from the point of vampires, but then realized, oh, but they should be more mindless. I don't know, and it just becomes its own weird thing where they're kind of vampires. Exactly. Vampire I guess that zombies. would have been a big what did not work for me is just you, you know, the murkiness of that. 
I don't know. Yeah. Definition and rules are, I think, you got to just make it. You got to make them. Make a choice and stick to it. Or be clear about not knowing them. I don't know. Just yes, be aware of it. that's also true, right? <laughs> you know, let us, yeah. let, let us be with wherever the perspective is at versus just kind of not coming down on a perspective. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, you know, there you go. There's other stuff, but it's whatever. It's Great. fine. Then with that, I think we're safe to wind down from the last man on earth <laughs> with some recommendations yes. for us and you. <laughs> yep. Uh, Tim, do you have one? Do you want me to go? I have one. I have one. I thought I had done this before, but I looked through and couldn't find it. So last night I watched um, for probably the fifth time, um, Wait Until Dark, which is a um, Audrey Hepburn, uh, Alan Arkin film that's based on a play uh, from 67. And man, is it good. You've referenced it within... Like you've made references to it, but yeah, I don't know if I thought you've officially I recommended it, it before. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's really it's man, it's so good. Uh, where did I watch it? I watched it on the uh, Turner Classic Movie HBO Max thing. Um, but it's out there, and damn, Alan Arkin is ridiculous. Cool, he's so good. I uh, he's so good. I've been wanting to see it since you recommended it or even just recommended it. Um, yeah. I had my hand on it at the video store. I didn't get to it this time, but I'll get to it soon. I'm trying to see yeah, the big Aubrey movies I haven't seen. Audrey. Uh, yep. Well, this episode comes out, you know, you're listening to it a couple weeks after you recorded it. But pretty recently to recording, Tim, I know you're aware that our uh, Charlie Watts, drummer of the Rolling Stones, passed away. Mm-hmm. So that's put us all in a Stones mood. I'm speaking for you. <laughs> it clearly has with yeah. me. Uh, but I've also been in like a concert doc mood. So I was looking at my watch list. It's like, oh yeah, that's what Rolling Stones docs are there. Oh yeah, I haven't actually seen Gimme Shelter. That's one I've been wanting to watch. So I watched that. It was very, very, very good. Done by the famous documentary filmmakers, the Maisels Brothers. Uh, have you seen that, Tim? Give me shelter. It's the one leading up to not the watched it. The no, death. I just know about it. You know, yeah. it's it's infamous for leading to the death at um, the Altamont concert. The same mm-hmm. time, though, is uh, incredible concert documentary or just concert show, like just the performances it gets. You know, before it all goes down, but the way that it sews together the seriousness of what happened there, it's just like you couldn't picture it being done in a better, more sensitive way. And sort of, human, you know, I don't know, being a documentary on that itself too. Like it's really mm-hmm. just as much about the band kind of, you can't, it's not even something you can fully grasp or understand or comes to terms with. But as far as doing all that processing that one can do, it shows the band members going through that sort of concurrently with this incredible concert they were putting on. Uh, hmm. There's really incredible moments in it, and the music is absolutely rocking to boot. So I rated it very highly. I recommended it very highly. Give Me Shelter. I think it's on both. Uh, it's one of those 
ones that's because it's on Criterion. It's on HBO Max too right, right. now. Sweet. Cool. All right. So Tim, how about next week's episode? Is it your turn oh, to pull next week's episode? Here, let me go. Let me grab the hat real quick. I'll reach over here. Oh my god, what's that noise? Oh, Tim, it's been so long since I've heard that noise. What is that noise? That's our bike skull bike bell. Which, if sir, remind me if my memory serves correct, Tim. But I believe that means there's a new release film we're gonna go see instead of pulling from the hat. That's precisely what it means, Ryan. Well, there's a new, uh, much-delayed horror film out right now. The sequel, but remake only in title to and of Candyman. So we're going to dismember it. Yep. What are you doing? What over a time. There? <laughs> what are you looking at? What a time. At? I'm taking a picture of the bike, skull bike bell. <laughs> Great. Don't lose it. <laughs> All right. Great. We'll look forward to talking about that. Very excited. All right. Well, in the meantime, our big ask is you tell a friend about our fair show here. Should you have made it this far? It means you probably liked being here. And if you think of someone else who would, please do tell them. It helps us grow, helps us all out. We're just about keeping that dream alive, hanging out with buds, watching horror movies, dismembering them afterwards. Heyo, join us. <laughs> join us. <laughs> right. All right. That's all you have on that, Tim. Then I could say, in closing, whether you're the first or the last man on earth, thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Ha, 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 ha,